Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Before I read, I want to just give you this summary of the Psalms. We've looked at this summary every week. It's just a, a good statement of, uh, about the Psalms. It's a good description of what the Psalms are about. Kendall easily wrote this. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so Dr. Easley reminds us that God is worthy of our worship and God is worthy of our trust when times are good and when times are bad. And as we look at the Psalms, we see the psalmist praising God, trusting God, on their mountaintops and in the valleys. We see them walking through all sorts of emotions as the psalmists write these these words. And as they deal with these emotions, they are clinging fiercely to God. And so it's just encouraging to see that. And these psalms are really collections. They they were written to be sung. They are written to be used in corporate worship with God's people. And so really, the 150 chapters are like a big hymn book uh, that the Hebrew people used uh, in significant ways. And so, uh, remember, these are meant to be used for worship. They are meant to be uh, sung, 150 uh, chapters. Now, one neat thing I see in terms of current music developments is you're seeing more and more of these psalms being set to music, contemporary music. Today's uh, people are, are taking these psalms and they're crafting them in, in new ways so we can continue to sing the psalms. And so, that's a real blessing. So let's look at Psalm 27. Psalm 27 says a psalm of David. We're going to read all 14 verses. I'm telling you, if you haven't read Psalm 27 in a while, you're about to be blessed right now. So you ready to be blessed? Okay, okay. Seven of you are ready to be blessed. That's good. The rest of you just take a nap, you know, you know, get on your phone, just, no, okay, all right. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light And my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes? It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing, notice that phrase, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother and my father have forsaken me. That's a bad day, isn't it? But mom and dad forsake you. My mother and my father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Because of my enemies, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. 
we're grateful, Lord, that you've given us your word, and we're grateful, Lord, for this time to be able to step away from the busyness of life to focus upon your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in these moments as your word goes forth, that you would, Lord, accompany uh, the word of God with your spirit, that we would understand your word, that we would be moved by your word, and we would be transformed by your word. Have your way in our midst today so that we can, Lord, leave this place and live lives that honor and glorify you. So, God, would you bless What's going on in this room tonight? Would you bless, Lord, all the other things happening, Lord? Men's discipleship groups, women's discipleship groups, uh, student ministry, children's ministry, preschool ministry, our worship ministry. God, all the different things happening on this campus. God, I pray that you would just bless, and I pray that you would be glorified in it all. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Psalm 27. I want to talk to you about confident living in a fearful world. That's what this psalm is really about. Confident living in a fearful world. And this is a relevant, timely word for us tonight. So let me just throw some things out there that cause people fear. Uh, ISIS causes fear, doesn't it? Zika virus. You heard about the Zika virus? Um... Earthquakes, hurricanes, I was right down near a hurricane on Labor Day weekend. Hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, natural disasters, family problems, problems on the job. And we could go on and on and on mentioning things that really can cause us to fear. But Psalm 27 is about being confident in God in the midst of fearful situations or a fearful world. Oh, I forgot one, the presidential race. That causes people a lot of angst, a lot of fear, right? So we go on and on with, 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 with all of these things. Uh, but we want to live confidently, confident in the Lord. And so let me give you just kind of this summary statement from Psalm 27. You will either live in fear of life circumstances or confidence in God's character. You either live in fear of life's circumstances or confidence in God's character. Everyone will live on one or the other side of that statement. You're either living in fear, anxiety, angst, worry, or you are living with confidence in the God who made you, the God who loves you, and the God who rules over all. Now let me tell you why fear is such a big deal. Okay, Why, why fear is such a... Um, such a crippling thing. First of all, fear cripples faith. Fear cripples faith. You might say it like this, fear is the opposite of faith. Faith is taking God at his word and directing your life accordingly. Faith is believing what God says and building your life upon his revelation. Fear is the opposite. Fear is doubting God, doubting his word, doubting his promises, forgetting his character, forgetting his nature. So fear cripples our faith. And faith is necessary to live a life that is going to be impactful and a life that honors God. Secondly, fear produces fretting. Fretting. F-R-E-T-T-I-N-G, I think. Fretting. I used the word fretting because it started with an F, so it kind of matched. What I mean by that is is anxiety, Right? anxiousness, worry, stress, strain. If we live in 
fear all of the time of others or circumstances or what may happen in life, the future. If we're living in fear all the time, then we're going to fret all the time. We're going to be uh, anxious over in Psalm 94 or maybe Psalm 96. I think it's no, Psalm 94, I think. Psalm 94 says that anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. That's true, isn't it? Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. If you have dealt with anxiety very much in your life, you know it's like walking under a giant weight or burden. It's miserable to be anxious. And fear it produces, fear drives fretting. Fear drives anxiety in our life. We don't want to live that way. Third, fear steals focus. If you're fearful then you are not focusing upon the Lord. And we lose our focus upon the Lord, we're, we're prone to all sorts of trouble, right? You're focused more on a person or a thing or a circumstance than you are on the Lord. And God wants us to keep our primary focus upon Him. So fear steals uh, focus. Uh, you ever looked on your uh, driver's uh, mirror, your, your side mirror on your vehicle, and it says that the mirror may magnify objects or objects may be greater than, uh, how does it say it? Closer than they appear. It distorts the, you know, the reality of the distance or whatnot. Uh, when you are fearful, it can magnify, it can distort other things and cause you to lose your focus upon the Lord. So fear cripples faith, fear produces fretting, and fear steals focus. So don't fear. Did you know that there are 365 times in God's Word that we're told not to fear. That's one for every day of the year. Amen? 365 times in God's Word. I've heard that. I haven't counted myself, but I've heard that from different sources. 365 times we're told not to fear. One of the reasons that I believe the Lord has led me to preach Joshua when we finish our study in Acts, starting in 2017, we'll start a study through Joshua is because one of the major themes of Joshua is to be strong and courageous, not to live in fear. So I'm really excited about preaching that book to you because fear uh, can wreak havoc in your life. Fear can make you miserable. Still, fear can uh, distract you from God's purpose for your life. Fear can keep you from moving forward in your Christian journey. Fear is not a good way to live, and so do not fear. Now, what's the alternative to fear? The alternative to fear is confidence in God. Confidence in God's control and God's power and God's character. And so here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to give you some ways that you and I can grow in confidence in the Lord. Because we don't want to be fearful. We want to be confident. So how can we be confident in a fearful world? Well, let me give you some thoughts on that. I've got how many? Six things. Six things that can help you to grow in confidence in the Lord. I believe if we'll apply these six things, instead of being fearful and anxious and fretting, we will be strong and courageous and bold and impactful and effective. So, confident living in a fearful world. How do we grow in confidence in the Lord? Confidence in God. Number one, know Him personally. By the way, you can't ever get to two through six until you get number one nailed down. You will never be free from fear. You'll never be able to live a confident life apart from a personal relationship with God. So look what it says there 
in verse 1. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Notice here the repetition of the word my. Did you see that? The Lord is my light. Doesn't just say God is light. He says the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Because I know him personally, he asks these questions of confidence. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? I know God. No one's greater than God. And so I don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything. He had a personal relationship with God. So listen to me. When you talk about the Lord, do you talk about him in abstract generic terms? You know, God. Or do you talk about him being your God, your Savior, your Father, because you know him in a personal way. David knew God in a personal way. He had placed his faith in the Lord and his saving power, and because of that, David knew him personally. Now, let me give you just a quick case study from a man named Jacob as to how he came to this place where he had a personal relationship with God. Look what it says over in Genesis chapter 28. This is really fascinating. Genesis chapter 28. Just kind of a quick recap. God began to build his people, the Hebrew nation, through the descendants of Abraham. So Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob. And before Jacob was a faithful patriarch that pointed his descendants to the Lord, he was a manipulator, he was a trickster, he was really not a nice guy, kind of a nasty guy. And we see a little bit of what's going on in his life in Genesis chapter 20. Look what it says in verse 18. Genesis 28, verse 18. This is when the Lord had brought uh, Jacob to Bethel to speak to him. And it says there, Early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow. Now look at this vow. If, Listen to me. God is not honored by you starting your vows with the word if. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and give me bread to eat it and clothing to wear so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. That interesting? Jacob says, if God comes through and he delivers me from danger and harm and brings me back here with the right kind of possessions, the right kind of life, then he'll be my God. But notice he's making no bones about it. God is not my God. He knew about God. He did not know God. Listen to me. There's a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God personally. Huge difference. And Jacob is demonstrating here, hey, I know about God, I can talk about God, I, I, I can mention his name, but I don't know him. He's not my God. But if he comes through, then I'll get serious about him. A lot of people make those same kinds of deals with God. God, if you'll get me out of this mess, right, then I'll get serious about you. That's a sure indicator that someone does not know God personally. They have, they have contingencies as to whether or not they're really going to follow the Lord. If, then, if, then. And so that's Jacob. But look what it says over uh, later in Genesis. Genesis chapter 49. The story of Jacob is another sermon series in and of itself. Uh, You know he went to his uncle to find a wife. And 
through his uncle's tricks, he ends up marrying two women, uh, Leah first, the one he really didn't want, and then Rachel, the one he really did want. And he marries them, and he takes them away from their father, and there's some, some, some uh, trouble there. Uh, but then he has to come face to face with his brother Esau, and he was scared of Esau because Jacob had tricked Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. And because of that, he knew that Esau wanted to kill him, but he knows as he travels back to where he's from, he's going to have to face Esau. And on his way to face Esau, he's fearful, he's fretful. The Bible records that he wrestles with an angel by a brook. And I believe that was a... Um, um, I don't, I'm, I'm going to open this can of worms and just move right on. Uh, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Um, so, okay, open that can of worms and, and I'm moving on. I'll explain that to you later uh, some other time. Uh, but he wrestles with the Lord, I believe. He says in that encounter, I saw God face to face. And he's wrestling with the Lord. And after that, there's a difference. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel, which I believe indicated an interchange. And instead of, it's really interesting, before he meets Esau, before he wrestles with, with God, he sends all the family and possessions in front of him as if to say, hey, listen, wives and children, if Esau's really, really mad, he'll probably take it out on you. And maybe after he hurts you, he won't hurt me as much. What a chicken, Right? But after he wrestles with God by the brook, the very next chapter it says that Jacob goes on in front of his family to meet Esau first. His, his life was changed. He's taking responsibility for his life. And look what he says near the end of his life. He's in Egypt and, and he's blessing his sons. Look what it says in Genesis uh, chapter 49, verse 25. He's blessing his son Joseph. And he says... By the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. Notice what he says there. By the God of your Father. He's my God now. He's your dad's God now. He's my God. I have a personal relationship with him. So you see the change in Jacob's life? He went from saying, God, if you come through, then I'll get serious about you. But he was changed as he wrestled with God. God had got his attention. He humbled him. At the end of his life, he's saying, hey, Joseph, the God I'm asking to bless you is the God of your father. He's my God now. I have a personal relationship with him. I believe that's exactly what David's getting at in Psalm 27, verse 1. He says, he's my light, my salvation. He's my stronghold. He's my God, a personal relationship with God. You say, wait, okay, I I want that. I'd love to have a personal relationship with God. I'd love to know him personally, have a relationship and call him father and know that he's there when I cry out to him. How do you come into a personal relationship with God? Well, here's how Jesus said it over in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. So if you want to have a personal relationship with God, you've got to embrace Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior by faith. You invite him into your life because you trust that what he did for you is the only way you can be saved. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. He's your only hope. And when you believe that, you'll cry out to him. You'll want to follow him. And that's when you experience salvation, forgiveness of sins. You've embraced Jesus and his finished work by faith. And because of that, you are brought into a relationship with God. Your sins are washed away. There's nothing 
separating you from God anymore. And because of that, the Bible says you are reconciled to God. You become a child of God. You become a friend of God. You become a sheep in God's flock. He becomes your shepherd. You know God in a personal way. And hey, personal testimony, when I was nine years of age, I was saved. And for 31 years now, I have known God personally. And there is no greater privilege, no greater joy in life. That's where confidence starts. Knowing God personally. That's where confident living happens in a, in a fearful world. I mean, you remember being young, probably many of you, and you remember there might have been times when you were in a fearful situation, but do you remember the difference it made when your dad was with you? When dad was with you, you weren't scared. You know dad was strong. You know you knew dad would protect and you knew dad was in control of the situation. Well, listen to me. It's the same thing when you know God personally. No matter what you face in this life, your father is strong. Your father's in control. Your father's protecting. Your father will take care of you. Personal relationship is so important for a a confident life. So let me just say this. If you're here tonight, you say, wait, I don't have a personal relationship with God whereby I can call him Father. I don't know that my sins have been washed away. I, I, don't, I feel like I'm far from God. Listen to me. He's just one prayer away. He loves you. Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead. And the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 10, 9. Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to them that believed on his name. So you receive him as your Lord and Savior. You call on his name. It's just that simple, right? And so call on his name. Place your trust in him, asking to be your Lord, your boss, and your Savior. And he'll come into your life and forgive you and begin to transform you and bring you into a personal relationship with God. And you'll begin to experience the difference it makes not just knowing about God, but knowing God, right? Big, big difference. That's number one. Know him personally. Secondly, know his character. Know his character. Look what it says back in Psalm 27. I got to get back there. Verse 1, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Most scholars, by the way, believe that phrase, eat up my flesh, speaks of the evildoers being like ravenous wolves. He's comparing them to wild animals. They, they want to destroy me. They want to eat up my flesh. My adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And so David's saying, when I'm surrounded by evildoers, and we don't know exactly what point in his life this was written, there's debate on that. I tend to think it was when he was running from Saul and he was out in the wilderness, and I'll tell you why in just a few minutes. But here he's saying, uh, even when I'm surrounded by enemies, an army is camped out against me, they're trying to kill me, they're trying to destroy me like ravenous wolves, I don't have to be afraid because of who God is. He's my light. My salvation, my stronghold. So, know his character. Now, notice the first word here is the word light. The Lord is my light. What does David mean when he says, the Lord is my light? Light is used often in the scriptures as a metaphor for God. 
And it communicates several things in the Bible. First of all, it communicates his purity. Over in 1 John, by the way, the Apostle John is the one that writes the most about God being light and Jesus being light. Um, in, in 1 John 1, 5, the Bible says, uh, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. It means that God is a God of absolute moral perfection. Absolute moral purity. It means God is holy he is good and righteous and just. He's never thought a wrong thing, never said a wrong thing, never done a wrong thing. God, the God we serve, the God we worship, is perfect. He's light. There's no, there's no hint of darkness in him at all. So the, the metaphor of light is used to speak of the purity of God. Secondly, the metaphor of light is used to speak of life. You know that when it comes to life on this earth, uh, if you've been just to basic science classes, you know that light plays a key role in bringing about life and sustaining life. And we have to have light for life. Listen to what it says over in John chapter 1, Apostle John again. John chapter 1, verse 4. Speaking of Jesus, in him was life and the life was the light of men. So he's comparing light to life. And so just like life brings about uh, light brings about life on this earth. God brings about life in us, abundant life, eternal life. And so it's a metaphor for that. Third, light is used as a metaphor for illumination or understanding. John 1, 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So he says, when the true light comes, speaking of Jesus, he will, he will shed light on everyone's uh, life, so they'll understand things better. He came to show us the way, is what he means there. And so light is used as, as illumination. You ever heard the phrase, you know, the light bulb came on? What do you mean by that? You mean, I had a good thought, I had, a, I had a, an idea, the light bulb came on. I was illuminated when it came to something. Well, the, the idea of light is used, applied to God to speak of him illuminating things for us, showing us the truth about things. And then, finally, Light is used as a metaphor for victory over darkness, which is what I think is happening in Psalm 27. Look back in Psalm 27 with me. I want to show you this. Psalm 27, verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And so he's saying, the Lord is my light. God being light, God being my God, he dispels the darkness. He pushes back the darkness that is all around me. And so it speaks of victory over darkness. P.C. Craigie, Old Testament scholar, says this, The psalmist is affirming that even in the darkness of the terrible threat of war, he has no fear. For God is the light that can dispel such fearful darkness. And so David's saying, I don't have to be afraid because God is light. He pushes back darkness. Secondly, he uses the word deliverer or salvation. Look in verse 1. Lord is my light and my salvation, or my deliverer. What did David mean by calling God deliverer? Well, David had experienced deliverance from many enemies. All throughout his life, David is being delivered by God. He had people after him all of his days, and he keeps escaping. He keeps surviving. Why? God's hand was on him. God preserved him and protected him. And so he had been delivered from many enemies. But David had also experienced deliverance from his greatest enemies. And by the way, David's greatest enemies are our greatest enemies. You know what our greatest enemies are? Two things, ready? Sin and death. 
sin and death. And through Jesus, God delivers us from sin and death. Think about it. When he died on the cross, he died for our sins. He died to take the punishment that you and I deserve. So he defeated our sin at the cross. If we embrace him as our Lord and Savior, his shed blood is applied to us and his his death washes away our sins. Amen? So he defeated our sin at the cross. And he defeated death when he rose from the grave because death had no power over him. Therefore, he could give you and I eternal life beyond the grave. So Jesus defeated both of our, or, or defeated the two major problems that we have, the two major enemies that we have, sin and death. He did the same thing for David. David placed his faith in God. He was saved, delivered spiritually speaking. So he was forgiven of his sin and he was uh, free from the power of death. He knew God as deliverer. He knew God could deliver him from the situation. And then third, he calls God stronghold in verse one. The Lord is my stronghold, the stronghold of my life. The Hebrew word here could be used for a mountain stronghold or a heavily fortified city. A a place you could go for protection. God is the one, what he means by this, God is the one who protects and watches over our lives. That's what he means. And he calls God a stronghold, a fortress. He's saying God's the one that protects us from enemies. He's the one that watches over our lives. And you know, you've heard me say this before if you've been around for very long, but it bears repeating. All right? If you are a child of God, if you've been saved, you've been born again, you're a child of God. All right, listen to me. Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. Amen? I mean, he's in control. He's your protector. He's your stronghold. Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. And if God allows it, he always has a purpose for it. And his purpose is for your ultimate good and his ultimate glory. So it's all going to work out. So how can you lose? Right? How can a Christian lose? Nothing can touch you unless God allows it. And and there are a lot of forces out there that would want to destroy us, that God protects us from, things we're not even aware of. God protects us, right? He watches over us. And even when he allows hardship or difficulty into our life, he has a purpose for it, and he's somehow going to use it for your good and for your glory. Now, you don't always see that in the moment, right? When, when hard things are happening, you're thinking, what in the world is going on with my life? feels like things are falling apart. feels like God's forgotten about me. But when you see God bring you through something, how, how many of you had this experience? You look back and you see exactly what God did for you in that moment. You ever had that experience before? And there's some things so hard, I don't think we'll even understand them this side of heaven. The old hymn says we'll understand them better by and by, right? So God will explain it to us one day when we get to heaven and show us how it all makes sense. But listen to me, God is our stronghold. One of my favorite quotes from Lottie Moon, we're going to talk a lot about Lottie Moon during the GIC. Matter of fact, we've got a, a, a picture of her, it's her real height. So you'll get to be able to take a picture of Lottie Moon this week, which will be pretty cool. And if you don't know who Lottie Moon was, she was a uh, missionary uh, in the late 1800s in China. She went as a single lady, and she was four feet tall. Uh, But I'm telling you, she was a warrior for Christ. And to honor her legacy, now we have an offering in Southern Baptist Life called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering that we give for international missions, and and her name is on that to to honor her legacy and her life. Um, But Lottie Moon said this, 
She said, I have the firm conviction. Now listen to this. This is so good. You're going to be glad you came out after you hear this quote. Okay? Matter of fact, you, some of you, if you want to leave after this, you'll be fine. You can go ahead and leave. All right? I'm going to keep preaching, but this will be worth you coming. All right? I'm kidding. Don't leave. She said, I have this firm conviction that I am immortal until my work on earth is done. I have a firm conviction that I'm immortal until my work on earth is done. Think about that. If God's not done with you yet, you ain't going anywhere. It don't matter what ISIS thinks or where the Zika virus is or what natural disasters may be looming on the horizon. If your work's not done, uh, friend, you're not going anywhere. You are immortal until your work on earth is done. And when it's done, God in his sovereign wisdom brings you on home. And it just gets better, right? Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. Every day I live, I get more opportunity to serve him. But to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. If I live, I get to serve Jesus. If I die, it's better I get to go be with Jesus. My faith becomes sight. I go to heaven. How can you lose? You know, you laugh, you think about Paul in the Roman Empire as this, this missionary and he was arrested and tried and threatened. And what are you going to do to Paul? Hey, Paul, if, if you don't stop preaching, we're going to kill you. Well, that's okay. I'll go be with Jesus. Well, maybe not right now. Okay, great. Every day you give me, I'll preach Jesus. I mean, what do you do? Right? You can't stop that kind of life, that indestructible life. And so here's what David's saying. God is my stronghold. I have the firm conviction that I'm immortal until my work on earth is done. And so he knew God's character. He trusted in the Lord because of who God was. He knew God's character. Hey, here's the third thing. How do we grow in confidence in the Lord? Relentlessly focus on him through worship. Relentlessly focus on him through worship. In the midst of this, this concern that David has about the enemies, the army encamped against him, he says something that just kind of, it just doesn't seem really like it fits. He's talking about enemies and armies and strongholds and deliverers and all of it. And all of a sudden he says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that I, I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all that is my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and acquire in his temple. So David's saying, hey, I'm surrounded by all these enemies. My life is in danger. God's my stronghold. I'm ready to go to church. What does that mean? What's he saying here? Now, he, when he mentions the, the temple, he uses different phrases. He uses temple, uh, shelter, tent. He's speaking here of the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was in a temporary tabernacle at this time. And David's saying, I I just want to be there by the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark of the Covenant symbolizes the presence of God. And that's where God's people gather to worship him. And I would just love to go and be in God's presence in that setting in corporate worship. Now, that's why I believe that this was written while he was on the run from Saul. I believe that David's out in the wilderness. He's saying, I just want to get back to, to where... Uh, the presence of God dwells. I want to get back to where the ark is, where the worship happens. I'm tired of being out here in the wilderness far from from being able to worship with God's people. I I want to get back to that place. But notice what he says in verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord. Notice his, his focus here, his relentless focus upon the Lord. David had a singular focus on the glory of God. Here's your Charles Spurgeon quote for the night because I can't, I can't get through a Wednesday night without quoting Charles Spurgeon, because he was awesome. He was a 
19th century English preacher, amazing man of God. He, he wrote, Divided aims tend to distraction, weakness, disappointment. Let all our affection be bound up in one affection, and that affection set upon heavenly things. And so David here is saying, even though I'm surrounded by enemies, my focus is upon worship. I want to be at the, the, the place where the ark is. I want to worship. I want to be in his presence. I want to see his beauty. I want to meditate and inquire at the temple. I want to gaze upon him. I desire to be at the house of the Lord. But that's where the worship action happens. That's what, that's what he's saying here. And I, I'm missing that out here in the desert. He had a singular focus on the glory of God, which leads to this question for you. Okay, you ready? This is a hard-hitting question. If you could sum up your one thing, what's most important in your life, what would it be? Now, I'm not talking about the church answer. I'm not talking about what it should be. I'm saying, what would it be? You had to say, my one thing, my major focus in life is blank. What would you say truly? David's saying, my one thing is is to worship, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I want to focus upon him. That's my one thing. He relentlessly focused on God through worship, which, by the way, gave him confidence in fearful situations. I'm telling you, nothing will get your focus right like worship will. Amen? I talked about worship a lot last week, but we, we uh, we need to worship God personally and corporately so that we can keep our focus on him because that gives us faith to face the things that come to us in our lives. Here's the fourth thing. Cry out to him in prayer. If you want to live a confident life in a fearful world, learn to cry out to him in prayer. Look in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. So he's praying here, God, I'm going to cry out to you and I'm asking you to answer my cry. I'm asking you to answer my prayer. Here's what makes prayer so powerful. It is, listen, prayer is the most neglected tool of the Christian in Christianity today. We, we simply are not wielding the power of prayer in our lives. But let me tell you what makes prayer so effective. Prayer is when you take your concerns and you place them in God's hands. That's what prayer is. It's when you place your concerns in God's hands. Again, it reminds me of Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, when you feel anxious, when you feel fearful, take that fear, that anxiety, that circumstance, and put it in God's hands. Pray. Pray about it. And when you do that, he'll lift your anxiety and he'll replace it with peace. Why wouldn't you take God up on that? It's just that simple. If you're feeling fearful, if you're feeling anxious, turn it into a prayer and God will replace the fear with peace. That's a good deal, isn't it? It's it's really is that simple. And so prayer places your concerns in God's hands. I've quoted this song to you before, but it's our, it's our favorite family song right now. We go on a trip. We'll always start out by playing this song. It's by Stephen Curtis Chapman, and it comes from the movie uh, War Room, which is about prayer. And 
the movie is called, I mean, the, the song is called Warrior. And he has a line in there about prayer. Uh, he says, when I'm on my knees, I'm a warrior. And he says, when, when I pray, the enemy trembles every time because he knows the battle is no longer mine. Isn't that good? If you're struggling with a situation in your life, instead of trying to fight the battle and manipulate situations and trying to just kind of make it through in your own strength and wisdom, put it in God's hands and let God take care of it. And I promise you, he'll do a much better job than you and I will. Amen? Put it in his hands. And when you put it in his hands, the devil trembles because he can't do anything about it. As Adrian Rogers uh, has famously said, and this is a great quote on prayer, he said, the devil can't stop God from answering. So he tries to stop you from asking. Think about that. He can't, the devil can't stop God from answering a prayer, can he? He's not more powerful than God. So his strategy is to come against us so that we won't ask. We won't pray. We won't take those burdens and turn them into a prayer request. The devil loves it when we are prayerless. He's not scared of prayerless people. But when we put it in God's hands, the enemy trembles because he knows the battle's no longer ours. It's God's battle now. That's the power of prayer. And that will help you to live a confident life. Now listen to me. Even though people may disappoint you, God is only a prayer away. Look what David says in verse 10. For my, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, we don't know exactly what David's talking about here. Again, I, I think it's probably talking about his time in the wilderness when he's not quite sure maybe if mom and dad are still for him and, and he feels forsaken by them. And so uh, David mentions he, 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 mom and dad have forsaken me. Maybe he's guessing, maybe he doesn't know for sure. We don't know exactly what he's talking about, but he feels forsaken. He feels let down by people, which is instructive for all of us tonight. Because listen to me, people, even people that love you greatly, will, will let you down. Right? People will let you down. Even well-intentioned people will let you down. And so listen to me. Don't trust in people. All right? Put your trust in the Lord. He's only a prayer away. When you are dealing with a hard situation, go to God in prayer. Here's the fifth thing. Learn his ways. If you want to live a confident faith in a fearful world, learn his ways. Look in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. In other words, hey, life is hard. There's hardship around every curve and bend. And so God, would you make sure I'm on a straight path, a level path? Would you teach me your way so I can go down the right path? Learn his ways. Now, this is a long statement, but it's really an important sentence. So just follow along with me there. As we learn the way God works in the world and in our lives, our confidence in his wisdom and power will increase. As we learn the way God works in the world and in our lives, our confidence in his wisdom and power will increase. So how do you learn God's ways? First of all, in the Bible, you read about how he's dealt with human history. And the more you know the Bible, the more you know God's ways. And the more you know his ways, the more confident you are in his power and wisdom. And then when you look at your life, again, 
You look back over your life where you can see things a little more clearly. When you look back over your life, you can see God's hand and the way that God worked and the way that God moved and God's purpose in your pain. And when you see all of that, it gives you confidence in the here and now. How do I have to fear? God, who was with me back there, is going to be with me here as well. You've learned more about God's ways, and it's given you confidence in the here and now. So learn His ways. And here's the sixth thing, and we'll be done. Declare your faith. Look how he ends this psalm, verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So he just makes his declaration of faith. He's my light, my salvation, my stronghold. I have my focus upon him. I've prayed to him. I've taken my concerns and placed them in his hands. And so I believe God's going to come through. That's what he's saying there. I believe I'll see his goodness in the land of the living. I believe he's going to deliver me. Now notice David's confidence, even though he hasn't seen an answer to his prayer yet. Look what he says. He's saying, I believe I shall, I shall, future tense, I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. In other words, I haven't seen the answer just yet, but I know he's going to answer. Isn't that awesome? I, I can't see it quite yet. I'm still surrounded by enemies, but I know God's going to come through. That's his faith in a fearful world. When we are struggling with fear, we must learn to speak truth. He speaks here of the goodness of the Lord, waiting for the Lord, being strong, letting your heart take courage. When we are surrounded by fearful things, we must speak truth about God, about who He is, about His relationship with us, His power, His wisdom. We've got to remind ourselves that God is in control. One of the most comforting things you can remind yourself of, of is this. When life feels chaotic, it's not out of His control. Or you might have heard it said like this, everything that's over your head is under His feet. Amen? And so you can trust him. You don't, have to, you don't have to wring your hands in worry and anxiety and fear. Speak truth to yourself. God's in control. God's powerful. God's wise. Nothing can touch me unless God allows it. And as you are rehearsing those truths in your own mind and heart and life, you are seeing your faith strengthened so you can be confident instead of anxious. So learn to speak truth to yourself. Sometimes you've got to just talk to yourself. All right? You may need to do it when no one's watching. Still think you're weird, right? But learn to talk to yourself. Speak truth to yourself about God, about his will, his way, his word, his character, his nature, his, his protection. Speak truth to yourself. Declare your faith, and that will give you strength in the here and now. So, how do you live a confident faith in a fearful world? How do you trust God no matter what life throws your direction? Know him personally know his character, relentlessly, relentlessly focus on him through worship, cry out to him in prayer, learn his ways, declare your faith. And if you will do that, you will have confidence even though your world seems to be falling apart. I love Psalm 46. It's, it's uh, one of my favorite psalms. We'll get to it down the line. Um, but in Psalm 46, the psalmist says, God is my Refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And then he mentions the context. Though the, 
the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Even, though, even if my world is turned upside down, God is near. God's my help. He's my refuge. And then he says in Psalm 46, verse 10, he says, Be still and know that he is God. You know what I believe David's doing here in Psalm 27? David is just quieting his heart, surrounded by enemies and armies that camped against him. I believe Saul and his armies after David. And David just quiets his heart, and he just rests in the reality of who God is and puts the situation in his hands. So God doesn't want us to be wringing our hands in worry and fear. God wants us to live with confidence, trust, faith in the Lord, no matter what comes our direction. Now listen to me, and this is so vital. If you live confidently when no one else is, people begin to say, what, what's going on with them? I don't know what's up with them, but they got a peace in the midst of all this chaos. And I don't know exactly what it is they got, but I want it. Right? See, your, your confidence in the midst of all the anxiety out there becomes a witness to the peace that only comes through Jesus. Amen? And so you can, you can bear witness to the goodness of God, your relationship with God, simply by living a, a, a life of peace and settled confidence in God, no matter what comes your direction. Unshakable faith.